one of these days. I'm going to get this right. Give me another 10 or 20 years. We'll get there. Well, good morning. Thank you. <clears throat> it's already been a great day. Already have uh, someone accepting Jesus Christ, and <clears throat> it's certainly a pleasure and a joy that uh, Ayla's been able to do that, but we also have other things going on, other things happening, and this is, of course, camp season. We've been talking about this and praying over various campers <clears throat> that are going and enjoying their time, hopefully learning and, and, and growing, and so we're certainly going to do that again today. I have a list. You see the list in front of you of those who are going to camp this week. Bristol Dom, and I'm not sure who all is here. We do have some. Bristol Dom and Kyla Dom, if you guys want to come up. I know Elon Moore is going, uh, and also Ali Aino is going. And so if you guys want to come up, I would appreciate it. Oh, this is great. Come on up. Here, move this so everybody can see you. Do you ever get Hanalt? How many people have ever said Hanalt? A lot of people. I'm really sorry about that. I practiced it in my office before I said Aino. All right, I'm going to go mess that up. Yeah, do you guys ever get Hanalt? You, you don't, right? Okay. All right, good. So where are you going to camp? Wesley. Camp Wesley? I have no idea. You have no idea? Oh, but I can tell you where you're going to camp. Actually, where are you going to camp? Do you know where you're going? Well, now I don't know if you guys don't know. <laughs> you two are going to Western Buckeye. Used to be called Camp Christian when I was there. After I left, they had to change the name. <laughs> what? That was a long time ago. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm just going to pray over you guys, right? Father, I thank you so much for all three of these girls up here. I just thank you so much for the incredible love that you've shown them and you show us. But, but all three of them, just wonderful creations. I, I just can't uh, express the gratitude and joy that they bring. Father, um, they're going away. They're going to camp. They're going to camp to learn to be immersed in uh, to be surrounded by the gospel of Christ, and I thank you for that. Father, I ask that uh, you will help, uh, help them learn, help them to see and understand even more uh, than they might learn or see or understand here today. I ask, Father, that you will protect them physically, uh, you'll watch over them, uh, that you'll care for them and, 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 and keep them safe while they're away, that you'll watch over their families, that their families will be filled with joy that they're at camp and uh, not be filled with worry or anxiety. But also, Father, I ask that you uh, work through them, that they may meet someone, connect with someone, and to share the love of Jesus with them, uh, that they can share joy and they can share love and they can share forgiveness and just all of these wonderful things that we have the ability to do through Jesus Christ. I thank you for this incredible chance and this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks, guys. You guys can go on down. Make sure your uh, mom and dad get you to the right place, okay? Well, good morning. We have, um, well, can you guys bring up the announcement slides? We didn't have a chance to do that. There's a couple things I want to talk about. Number one, we need to talk to Laura about that. Also, our annual meeting is coming up on Sunday, July 28th. What we like to do is combine that with our Mission Sunday. We have a few Mission Sundays throughout the year, uh, but that one is at the end of Vacation Bible School. 
Earl Hovner is going to be speaking that, uh, that day, and uh, so I encourage you to be here for that. But also following that, we'll have uh, a lunch for our missions, and we'll combine that with our annual meeting. Uh, something else, we do have our uh, disc golf. Cody's been putting together disc golf. That happens today uh, after service at about 1 o'clock. You can meet at the uh, Mary Rutan Park there in Bell Fountain. And you can bring a lunch with you. You can bring a picnic with you if you'd like. And you're going to dine together that way uh, and then start uh, playing some disc golf. And if you've never played, go. It's fun. Uh, it's slow pace. Uh, you can bring the kids, bring the family. I mean, it's, it's, it's an enjoyable thing uh, to, uh, to go out there and play that. Also, we're not going to be uh, collecting trash today after church. Uh, that has been canceled. We didn't get very much interest in that. Uh, and so we're not going to do that. Only got about five people. There are a few things throughout the church and throughout the things that we do and, uh, that just kind of run its course. Uh, maybe that's one of them. We've done that for quite a few years, and that might just have run its course at this point. Uh, so we won't be doing that today after, uh, after service. thought I had the afternoon off. Dad has already put me to work, so I'll be helping him. Everyone is free to come out and do that if you'd like, okay, if you have a free afternoon. During VBS, we are going to have someone dressed up as a knight, all right? I don't want to spoil any surprises, but that's just part of it. And we have a costume. Uh, I don't know who's going to do it. Whoever can fit into the costume, I suppose, is going to be. And that's just going to be a part of the program that we do, <clears throat> part of our uh, raising money for missions and also attendance and just, just various things. We're going to have somebody, somebody do that. But just because they put on the costume, just because they try to look the part, doesn't mean that they're actually a knight. It doesn't mean that they are actually one of these chivalrous knights from you know, the 1200s that, that rides their horses and, and tilts with others. They may look the part. They may pretend to put on some of these pieces of armor. But if all it is is pretending, no matter how good the armor looks, it's not really being a knight or serving the king. It's just playing dress up. That's all it is. You see, Paul tells us that the core of the person, the core of the new life, is not what's merely shown on the outside. But it's a fundamental transformation of the real self, the inside. A knight, we know from last week, is, is describing a noble servant. And a noble servant, particularly a knight, with all the various things that they do, whether it's competition or serving the king or serving their estate or or, or going into battle, all of these things, there is one duty that is above all things. And, and, and this, was, this was taught to squires as they were becoming knights. Sadly, not all knights lived up to this, but there is one duty that is above everything, and that is their duty to the truth. 
That's what it meant to be a noble person, to be a noble servant, was your absolute devotion to the truth. You see, because if they weren't going to do that, if they weren't going to stand up for what was honest, what was authentic, what was real, what was true, then nothing else they did mattered. There was no such thing as being a noble liar. There was no such thing as being a noble hypocrite. And every single one of these men could have put on the armor. They could have, you know, gone into the list and had someone dress them up. But if they were not noble, they weren't really a knight. They were just playing dress up. Church, the belt holds all of the rest of the armor together. On a Roman soldier, the belt held together the breastplate. The belt held together the tunic underneath. Without it, everything was moving, everything was flopping, and everything could have fallen off, all the rest of the pieces of armor. The belt held the sword. The belt held the battle shoes, which helped them stand firm. The belt holds together everything. And certainly it's no different for us today. This is one of those messages that I, well, I want you to do this with all messages, I suppose. But this is one of those messages I want you to take very seriously. I want you to look at your own life and your own mind. I want you to look at your own heart because I tell you, it holds up a mirror to every single one of us. There is no such thing as a hypocritical a dishonest, noble servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you that we can be challenged today. And so, Father, we ask that you give us a receptive heart, that you open our eyes, that you give us humility, but also that you give us confidence. You give us the ability to know what it means to serve our King and serve our King properly. Help us to be prepared, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me to Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. In our Ephesians text, Ephesians chapter 6, we get to verse 14 as Paul begins to describe the armor of God, as he begins to lay out what he calls the armor of God Verse 14 is this, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Why do we need the belt of truth buckled around our waist? Paul says, stand firm then. He was just talking about withstanding the evil schemes of Satan. And so he says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth, this truth, this aletheia, is best interpreted as truthfulness. What is Paul getting at here? Paul is trying to say that truth is the opposite of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, you, you know this, it's a theatrical term. It's two-faced, wearing a mask, saying one, doing another. That's where you get that word from, from antiquity. 
And Paul says the truth that we're talking about is the opposite of that. That's what aletheia means. To be honest in all things, more to the point, to live what you profess regardless of the consequences. To live out what you profess regardless of the consequences. To live out what you profess when the consequences are difficult, hard, even dangerous. Everyone can live out what they profess when the rest of the world's going your way anyway. Everyone who's ever created can do that. But to live out what you claim that is, hopefully, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. John confronts this in 1 John chapter 4. We love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he's given us the command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. James confronts this in the first chapter. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like, is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Again, we would call that person crazy. And again, James in chapter 2, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Peter confronts this in the first Peter, chapter 2, live as free people, but not, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, live as God's slaves. Show pr proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. We're going to see a great example of that today. Paul confronts this numerous times in his letters as he writes to Titus. To the pure, all things are pure in chapter 1, but to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences have been corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. He talks about it again in Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, he says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same doggone things. I added in the doggone. Now we know that God's judgment <clears throat> against those who do such thing is based on what? Truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet you do the same things do you think you're going to escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And finally, Jesus gets right to the point in Luke chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That's Jesus' nice way of saying, you're, you're, you're full of it, right? You're hypocrites. You're saying one thing and doing another. What does Jesus say? Jesus is not saying here, do what I say. Jesus is saying here, if you're not going to do what I say, don't claim me. Don't claim that you follow me. We and the kids get to see a great example of securely having this belt of truth around us in Daniel chapter 3. This story is about three Jewish officials who are over uh, an area of the province of Babylon. They were among the captives that Nebuchadnezzar led out of, Egypt, or out of uh, Israel, out of Jerusalem. 
and, and brought them to Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city and conquered Jerusalem and Judea. And these three men were smart. That's why they were put into these positions. They were of high rank, even in their own homeland. And they were trained, along with Daniel, to serve the kingdom of Babylon as, yes, captives. But Nebuchadnezzar saw something special in them. And so they were serving the kingdom of Babylon. They were essentially administrating and and ruling over parts of the kingdom. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Although you may know them by their Babylonian names and not their Jewish names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So far, so good. However, we have a catch. These three men claimed to believe in the one true God of creation. There's only one God. And these three men claimed to believe in that one true God. Nebuchadnezzar, although, believed in himself. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted everyone else to do so. Look at the first verse of chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. This is after they've been in Babylon for a while. One day, essentially, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. And set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come up to the dedication of the image he had set up. And and in there are these three men in one of those areas. So all of these guys, the satraps, the prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar, the image that he had set up, and they stood before it. So the king sets up a monument to himself, and he invites all the bigwigs around Babylon, all the politicians, the aristocracy, to this dedication ceremony. Well, frankly, at this point, that's not a big deal. We do the same thing. It seems very similar. We have statues of men and women all around, and we commemorate these statues accomplishing great things, or we want to remember their contributions, or we want to remember their courage, or whatever it may be. Usually these are done for someone else. Now Nebuchadnezzar is doing it for himself. Look at verses 4 and 5. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipe and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now we have a problem. Now we have a problem. You ever walk into a situation or you walk into a group setting or you walk into something new and you think to yourself, I hope everything just goes well. I hope there's no waves. I hope there's no drama here. I just want to get in, enjoy my time, and get out. Well, it'd be nice if they could just all show up to the, the, the dedication ceremony of the statue, and Nebuchadnezzar says, here it is, and then they all go home. But no, Nebuchadnezzar believes in himself, not in the one true God, and he needs to take this a step further. We have a problem, and we have decision time. We have decision time for these three men. More accurately, it is truth time. Do you believe in the one true God that requires, demands, and expects that we should worship? Or do you think we should worship 
to give this reverence to Nebuchadnezzar or reverence to this golden statue? Well, perhaps this decision's an easy one. Maybe we need to read on a little farther. Perhaps the decision's simple. We go to the king and we say, well, king, we don't believe in that. And if you don't mind, while you guys worship, we're just going to stand over here. We'll be quiet. We'll just watch and we won't bow down. Actually, it's quite easy to live out what you profess if you can do something like that. I'm just going to separate myself for a time. I know that it's wrong. I don't want to participate. And so I'll separate myself. You go your way. I'll go my way. There is only one God and he alone is to be worshipped. And so, of course, the answer that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have is no. We're not going to worship this golden statue. And by extension, you, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to do that. We're not going to worship you. And King Nebuchadnezzar, we hope, says, no problem. No problem. You go your way. I'll stay here and worship with the rest of the people. And then we'll just go home. Look at verse 6. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now the problem gets a little more difficult. We had a problem, now we have a serious problem. We had this confrontation of truth, now we have a one-way street, either towards Jesus Christ or away. Church, the fact of the matter is there are consequences to living out what you profess or what you claim. And you'd better just get used to it told Sam that the other day. He was helping us outside. He says, Dad, I don't like all this work. I'm getting bored. I said, well, pal, I said, if you want to come out here to the farm, I said, that's just something you're going to get used to. Now, you can't participate. There are results, effects, consequences to claiming to follow Jesus Christ when you interact with the rest of the world, and why not? Jesus is for Everything that a fallen world is against. Now, the eternal consequences are wonderful. Eternal life in Jesus Christ. To live in His peace and in His rest. To be recreated into the way and the form that He designed. But the immediate consequences, church, can be very painful. They can be scary. They can even be deadly. But it is precisely instances like these. Not easy moments. Easy moments don't test our faith. Going to church on Sunday doesn't test our faith. It's these moments of difficulty, hardship, struggle, even danger, where we either tighten our belt as knights of the realm, or we loosen it and let it fall to the ground. Sometimes we let it fall and pick it up again. Sometimes we let it fall and pick it up again. Sometimes we let it fall and pick it up again. Let me ask you something. How many times can you pick that belt up and then lay it back down and still confront the question, do I really believe this? If you're going to keep laying it down and picking it up and laying it down and picking it up, eventually you have to make a decision. As mentioned last week, there are those who say that they may die for their belief in Jesus Christ. And again, I think they're sincere. We have seen that through time. 
but far too often the consequences of truth is not church. It's not a fiery furnace. Remember, Satan is effective because he is not obvious. Satan is effective because there's not a frontal attack. More often, putting this truth around your waist and saying, I will go this far and no further, is denial of the flesh, strained relationships, loss of reputation, loss of position or title. It's not getting in the last word when we control ourselves. It's patience with others instead of having it our way. Often it's loss of desire or want, loss of a convenience or a tradition, even loss of an opportunity. The consequences are humiliation, service, anger from others, outright rejection by some if you're going to stand up for what you believe. You see, one of the reasons we struggle with this belt is we don't count the cost. We don't count the cost when we claim Jesus. We see eternity, and we don't see the road that gets there. Too many times we accept the beautiful words of Jesus, and even Jesus himself says, look, before you do this, stop and know what you're getting into. Because what you're getting into is the fiery furnace. Luke chapter 14, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have the money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees you will ridicule you. Paul talks about that later on in Romans. I'll I'll get there at the very end. This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's even able to do it with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other one is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. What's Paul or what's Jesus talking about there? Your life. That's everything you have. I will give my life to Jesus. He dictates the terms. You won't be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, that's laying down that belt, church. The next time something, and I want to tell you something, usually it's not even the next time something deadly comes along. It's the next time something inconvenient comes along, which is one of the most horrible things there is. He says salt's good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The salt is the preservation of all that is good. But we lose our saltiness if we do not count the cost, if we keep taking off this belt of truth around our waist. We say or profess one thing and we do not follow through. If that be the church, and I think all too often it is, then degradation and spoil run rampant. These three men... They refused to bow down. Refused. They quite literally remained standing for what they professed and what they knew to be true, even fully expecting the consequences. 
And you've got to reflect upon yourself and ask, what do we bow down to? What becomes your master and you the slave? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were slaves to nothing. And they knew it. And you see it in the way they stand. And, of course, the king finds out in Daniel chapter 3, verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he questioned them. And he, like so many others, tries to tempt and threaten into slavery. All he wants them to do is take off that belt. That's it. Take off the belt. Can't we compromise here? Can't you take off the belt for a moment? I got it, says the king. Okay, look, I know you don't believe it. And you know you don't believe it. And your God knows you don't believe it. So since we all know you don't believe this, why don't we go back to the assembly and you can go ahead and bow down? And then you can get up and go on your way. How many times are we tempted with that? You know the truth. God knows the truth. Those around you know the truth. So let me just bend the rules here. Let me just take off this belt just for a moment. Everyone knows I don't mean it. All he wants them to do is take off that belt because once they take off that belt, he's got them. And they are slaves. I've made this confession before. It's not easy. I'm a Trekkie a little bit. Star Trek fan. I'll hand in my resignation at the end of the day. It's true, though. But there's one episode. Oh, and not even. I like the original, but this is the, this is the second one, okay? It's even worse, right? There's one episode where the captain of the ship is trapped. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's a prisoner. And I'll tell you, the first time I saw this, this resonated with me, and it stuck with me for the rest of my life. And in order to gain control over the captain of the Enterprise and wanting to control the Enterprise then, his interrogator turns on four lights. You ever see this? You remember this? His, it, probably not. His, his interrogator turns on four lights. And he asks the captain as he's sitting there in the chair, he says, how many lights are on? The captain says, four lights. And he inflicts him with tremendous amount of pain. And he says, no, there's five. And they come in the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. All he wants him to do is to admit something that isn't true. And if he does that, He's got him. That's all Satan wants to do. Church, Satan is not standing in front of you, challenging you to a fist fight. He's working on that small, tiny, little, almost unnoticeable piece of weak armor right here. And all he wants you to do is admit to something that isn't true. 
and then you become his slave. This is what Nebuchadnezzar wants these men to do. And again, he compromises in 14 and 15. He says, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, it's, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't want to serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, look at this. He gives them another chance. This is the temptation part. This is the temptation. He says, Now, when you hear the sound of the horn and all the music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I make, very good. There's the temptation. I'm going to give you a second chance. He starts out with some honey. But then he moves on to threats. He says, but if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? After these three men hear this, they deliver three of the best and greatest lines in all of the Bible. Pay attention to these. Number one, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. You need to read that multiple times, church. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and He will deliver us from your majesty's hand, verse 18. But even if He does not, even if He doesn't, I'm not taking off this belt even if it goes any way that I don't want it to go. I'm not taking off this belt. Even if we die in the furnace, even if we're tortured on the way there, even if we're banished from the kingdom, even if no one remembers our name, I am not taking off this belt. It's not exactly what Scripture says, but you get the point. You can read through it. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. First, we're not trying to make you our enemy. What did Peter say? Honor the emperor. What are these three men doing? They're honoring Nebuchadnezzar. We're not going to argue with you. We're not going to yell at you. We're not going to disparage your character. We're not going to drag you out in front of the people, cause anarchy and tell all the people what a horrible man you are, king. We don't need to defend ourselves in front of you. We're not going to disrespect your authority or position. In a defense, we're not going to attack your character. Secondly, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If you would read our defense, these men say, it's right here in the Torah. We don't need any more. If you want to read my defense... It's right here in the Bible. I can't improve on that. You can't either. So stop trying. This is your defense. It's already written out. It's been approved by God, and it has never failed in 2,000 years. This is your defense. Nothing more, nothing less. How many times we try to defend ourselves, we tell God, just sit there for a minute, I've got this. I can do this a lot better than you can. Let me try in my own feeble mind to stumble over some words here. This is your defense. And people either accept it or they reject it. But that's the best defense you have for living up to your claim, your profession in Jesus Christ. And lastly, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Regardless of what you plan, 
God's will, his desire is going to be done. God serves as our defender now and forevermore. The second greatest line, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. These men are fully armored. This goes back to last week, trust in God's mighty power. God can make this decision that leads to immediate physical deliverance if he chooses. How do they know that? How do these three men know that? These three men just saw Nebuchadnezzar completely decimate Judah and Jerusalem, their entire nation and capital. How in the world then can these three men stand in front? I thought this was God's place. How can they stand in front of him and say, God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us? The same way you and I know, it's the very same way they know that he can do this. They've read the stories. They've heard scripture. They know scripture in that day. The Torah. The law and the prophets. The same thing you have. The same thing I read. And by the way, the king hasn't come in and completely decimated your home. Completely decimated theirs, the very guy they're talking to. And yet they continue to believe in God. He is able to deliver us. And finally, the third great line, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They affirm that they don't know if they're going to be rescued. But the lack of foreknowledge, the lack of going your way, the lack of deliverance has no bearing on right and wrong in their lives. This is right, that's wrong. I've told this before, you've probably experienced this before too. You make a decision with all the information you have and the outcome is not what you think it was going to be or not what you were hoping. But then when you reflect back, Given the information that you had, you say to yourself, I would still make the same decision. I don't have the foreknowledge. What I have is what's in front of me. And the decision is good and the decision is right based upon that. Surely, surely Nebuchadnezzar will honor their conviction. Surely he will honor their bravery. Right? I mean, I would. If they were standing in front of me, even if they didn't believe what I believed. No. No, he throws them in the furnace. He says, you're out of here. 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the, the, ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell in to the blazing furnace. You may know the rest of the story, but do you focus on the whole thing? God does indeed choose to rescue them physically from this instance. You see that in 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men 
walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Do you look at the whole story? This salvation was miraculous and it should be praised. But look at the entire outcome. When these knights who are girded with the belt of truth refuse to back down. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, after he realizes all of this, the bad guy says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. This is the beginning. Church, if you read through the whole story, you got to see this. This is the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar coming around. He goes through a weak part where he's crazy for seven years and eats outside and all that stuff. you got to read the whole thing. But, but this is the moment where Nebuchadnezzar starts to realize that the God these Israelites serve is the true God. It's the real God. Sometimes we lay down our belt because we think we're going to help somebody. Sometimes we lay down our belt because we think we're going to please somebody. It was through hanging on to that belt, tightening that belt, that Nebuchadnezzar himself says, and eventually gives himself over to it more and more, Praise be to your God. Look at the testimony. Remember, the squire wanted to be the knight because it was good and it was service to the king, but also because a knight was not like everyone else. It does no harm to the kingdom of God if a non-believer is a hypocrite. It does no harm to the kingdom of God if a non-believer refuses to stand up for, to live for what is true. The truth, or the lack thereof, is the testimony of your life and Jesus' ministry. By the way, I told you we'd get back to Paul in Romans chapter 2. This is what he says when he's talking to the Jews. He says, you who teach the law and follow the law, you're breaking the law. And in chapter 2 he says, and the name of God is blasphemed because of you. Not because of them, but because of you. There's a moment, there's a time when we choose to put on the belt and we say we will not take it off again. And if we continue to take it off and take it off and take it off, church, you have to ask the question, do I believe in Jesus? I don't care what I've said. I don't care what I've done. I don't care how old I am or how long I've lived or how long I've gone to church. Do I believe in Jesus? And how do I know what I believe and what I stand for is true and right? Because it defines Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you for the challenge that you've given us in our lives, in our minds, in our, in our voices. Father, we ask that we put that belt around us, that we <clears throat> strengthen it, that we, we resolve that even our lives can be given for the truth that is Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that you strengthen us. We don't ask for ease. We ask for strength, courage, perseverance. And we ask to be true if we are going to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
of your word, but also the reflection that we can have. We thank you, Father, that uh, you, you have, you maintain this standard of something that is true and real and right and good, uh, and we never have to doubt that. Uh, we thank you that you forgive us when we fail, but Father, help us if, if we claim, if we profess that you are our Father, that Jesus is our Savior that we secure that belt, that we become familiar with it, that it's a part of us. It just becomes a part of who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. 